0: It was 25 years ago this summer, 1993, I did something for the very first time. I made my very first trip to Morgan County, Kentucky. It's the first of many trips that I would make. I was on my way home from Summer Project where I stopped to visit my then girlfriend, Lisa Keaton. Of the many things that happened on that first trip to Morgan County, one of those was I met my soon-to-be father-in-law. My father-in-law is a source of many illustrations that I might use in preaching, but one of those is kind of what happened on that very first encounter. When I met him and I went to his house, he began to teach me stories about Morgan County. And what I began to realize is that the world of West Liberty and Eastern Kentucky and Morgan County, it is his world. He began to tell me stories about Morgan County year after year after year. His roots, the Keaton's, can be traced, and I kid you not, to Abraham and Isaac Keaton from the 18th century. My father-in-law loves where he is from. It is his story. He talks about it. Later that fall, over Thanksgiving weekend, I asked his permission to marry his oldest daughter. And here was his answer. We got along great. Everything was good. We were in the same college fraternity. We had a lot in common But he said, you know, I've got one concern. And he was serious. He's like, I don't like the fact that you're from out of county. (laughs) Not out of state. Not out of country. Out of county. And he was serious. And over these past 25 years, I have learned Civil War generals, deer hunting secrets, birds, trees, plants, all unique to Morgan County. Crimes Committed and Unreported, Depression-era Survival, Prohibition Days Politics, Scotch-Irish Heritage, Family Members Claimed and Unclaimed, the stories go on and on and on. If you're old enough to remember Y2K, and some of you are... When the clock struck midnight, I was at the base of the Morgan County Courthouse because he wanted a family picture taken there in case the apocalypse happened, that we would be together, so there we were. (laughs) You know, what? what's what's my father-in-law's objective? He wants to influence me, no doubt about it, right? Not only does he want me to love his stories, he wants me to love his heritage. He wants me to pass it on to the next generation. That's really what he's doing. You know, this past week at Bible school, really the theme was the secrets of God's kingdom. And we had a bunch of little private investigators studying the parables of God and talking about the secrets of God's kingdom. In much the same way that I learn year after year after year different stories about Morgan County, what I want us to think about this morning Is that it's not just that we want to know the facts of God's kingdom. I pray that through the power of God's Spirit, we would love God's kingdom, and it would be our story. So, do you this morning? Do you know and love the secrets of the life inside of God's kingdom? Open back to Deuteronomy chapter 11, and we're going to look at these uh, last three verses primarily this morning: verses 10, 11, and 12. And this really is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. If you're not familiar with Deuteronomy, it is a beautiful, beautiful book that traces God's blessing and His Spirit together. The whole book is a retelling of the law where we see that God's people are designed to live in a love and a loyal relationship with God the Father, and He pours His blessing upon them. If you know much about Deuteronomy, you know that there's a very, very famous and important passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6 it's one of the more important passages in all the Bible and it says Moses gives the command that for your children you're to teach them diligently all of these things about God's kingdom about life in God's world about all that God has done the command that Moses was giving to the Israelites is with the next generation you teach them diligently That is, when you're walking together, when you're playing together, when you're at home, when you're at work, when you're at worship, at all times, it's such part of your life, you're always talking about who God is and what God has done, diligently. And as we look at our passage this morning, that's exactly what Moses is doing. And the question before us, if we're going to be people who are training up the next generation, do we know and love God's secrets today, His mysteries for us all about his kingdom. I want us to think this morning about the land of God. As I read this passage, you may have thought that it was a little bit of an unusual one to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I want to commend to you this morning that I think that the land of God in the Old Testament illustrates the coming of our Savior in the New Testament. And let me freely admit, this is my favorite passage in the Bible. And over the last 10 or 15 years, the Lord has used this passage so much to minister to me. It is a beautiful picture of our life as followers of Jesus. I want to mention three three hidden secrets this morning that the land reveals. First, life inside of God's kingdom, we see the secret of our past. Secondly, the secret of our inabilities. And then lastly, the secret of our hope. Our past, our inability, and our hope. First, look back at verse 10 and be reminded of the reality of our past. Moses says here, as God's people are entering into the promised land, he says very, very clearly that the life that you're entering into possess this land, it is not like your old way of life in Egypt. This land is different. If you remember the story of the Old Testament, the great drama was the exodus of God's people out of Egypt, how God called a prophet Moses to his people to proclaim, let my people go to Pharaoh to get them out, to be delivered out of Egypt and enter into the promised land. And they passed through the Red Sea, they passed through the waters, if you will, in order to enter this life of deliverance. But here's what you have to understand about their deliverance. Egypt was not just a neutral place. The promised land was not just a new beginning. It's so much more than just that. Egypt was characterized for God's people as a life of slavery. It was a horrible life. They were the labor force of Pharaoh. It was ongoing misery year after year after year. Day after day, generation after generation of slavery, bondage, captivity, the the story of Joseph had long been forgotten. Now the story of God's people in captivity was work without rest, no Sabbath, no worship. It was not a life of blessing, but it was a life of curse in need of a savior to come and rescue them out of it. Throughout Scripture, life in slavery in Egypt is meant to help us understand what our life was like as sinners without faith in Christ. It was a horrible life, a life of misery, a life of bondage, a life where we could not enjoy God's blessing because we did not know Him. Our great hope is that a prophet would come and call us out of that life And lead us into a new life, and that's what He has done. Our our New Testament reading this morning that that Ava read for us. It's a well-known passage of Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. Many of you know this well. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves; it's a gift of God. But really, to put that verse into context, you have to look at the beginning of chapter two, and that's where Paul says, "You were dead." in your sins and in your transgressions. That's your past. You were dead. The late theologian, R.C. Sproul, still strange to say that, but he said about our life and spiritual slavery, he says that the person who doesn't know Christ is at enmity with God. He's never in a neutral position. He's a fugitive. He refuses to have God in his thinking fallen people must have a total heart change that's what our lives were like so people I want us to see this morning this is our past this is our heritage this is what's true of every one of us if you know Christ then what's true of you you used to be an enemy of God you were lost you were a fugitive you hated him you hated his ways you were never neutral Let this picture of a new land, though, fuel your imagination of what's true of you now in Christ. Jesus came and spoke words of truth to you and brought you out of that life and gave you a new life. A totally new one where your slavery to sin is over. And we have to embrace and we must tell our children and their children and the next generation the story that we are people who have been rescued. We are people who have been delivered from bondage. We were people who are dead and now we are not. And Moses wanted the Israelites to know the difference so that they would constantly recognize that now they are freed slaves. That this life is different. Your life, this land, it's not like the land of Egypt. You know, as I've thought and prayed and meditated on this passage again this week, and really comparing this with other scriptures throughout the Bible, and I think one of the greatest dangers, one of the greatest threats to our children today was the same threat that the people of Israel dealt with. It's that even though we can teach them that they have been delivered... My fear of the next generation is that what they see in us is that we actually have an ongoing love affair with our old way of life. That there is sin in our life that we enjoy hanging on to. That even though we are freed from it, we actually prefer it. Again, if you remember the plight of the Israelites after God had rescued them out of their bondage, do you remember their ongoing desire? It's heartbreaking. It's fascinating. After they had been delivered, after they had seen all of God's miracles to bring them out of Egypt, they kept saying the same thing over and over and over. Moses, can we just go back to Egypt? Essentially, they were saying, can we just go back to being slaves? Maybe it wasn't that bad after all. This life of faith is kind of scary. Can we just go back to the misery of our old way of life? It's heartbreaking to the Lord to sense that the people who he has redeemed don't love the new life that's been given. I give this illustration every July in a Bible study or sermon or something. One of these days I'm going to have a different illustration to give, but but this one, it's appropriate again this year. As part of God's curse upon my life, I am a diehard Cincinnati Reds fan. I have been my entire life, I intend to for my entire life. I don't know why, it's just part of the curse. Every July the same thing happens with the Cincinnati Reds. We are way out of first place and we have two or three legitimately good baseball players. On July 31st every year is the trading deadline. What happens every year is we take our best players and we trade them to another team, and in return, we get future players who may be good. Essentially, what the Reds do is we decide, all right, we're not going to pay these guys now since we're not going to win. Here's the point. None of those guys who are playing for the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Dodgers, none of them talk about the glory days of being 28 games out of first place. None of them talk about, oh, please let me go back to the Reds, where no one comes to watch the games. No one does that. They are thrilled to be delivered out of the bondage of slavery. <laughs> you get the point. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest He's saying, you have a new way of life. I am with you. You are mine. You belong to me, and my way of life is better than anything you could have ever had. My prayer for us this morning is that we will love the life that Jesus has purchased for us. The life of faith. The life of trust. The life of recognizing that Jesus is our prophet, priest, and king. Friends, are you holding on to a sin this morning because you love it, because you prefer it, because you think you can blend it in with a life of Jesus, that you think you know better than your king what is best for your life? Can you trust him enough to see that this new life is so much better that you can turn from all things connected to our past? That's the first secret. It's a new life. It's a different life. But now, secondly, notice the secret of our inability. Look at verses 10 and 11. And see the connection here of irrigation. And I know that seems strange, but I find this completely fascinating. And This is my favorite part of the whole passage. Keep in mind here, this was obviously an agrarian culture. and The Israelites were no different. They farmed, they raised animals, they raised crops. The worst thing that could have happened to the people of God in terms of their survival was for there to be a drought. If there was a drought then, similarly to today, then the people of God were in trouble, a physical drought. The Israelites' old way of life in Egypt, the land was designed in such a way with the Nile that you could irrigate your crops. Okay, so that's what you did. You planted your crops, and then you, in your own ability, could do the manual labor to irrigate them. That is, you had the ability to bring about your own fruit, your own success. But notice where God took his people. He took them out of Egypt where you could work and irrigate, and he brought them into the promised land where it says, quote, it's a land of hills and valleys, where you cannot irrigate your crops. It was a place that it was physically impossible to do the work to bring about the blessing. You couldn't make your crops grow. The supply of water in their day determined their survival, and they only had one way for that to happen, and that is for God to send water from the sky. You see the difference. Our old way of life of sin is where we brought about the fruit of our life. Our new way of life of faith is that either God does it or it does not happen. Here's the deal. Israel's land was strategically placed, sovereignly positioned, where absolute survival was completely dependent upon Him providing. So think about it. They had no ability to produce. God could have positioned them anywhere any climate, any structure, any place. And he chose a place where the one thing that they knew how to do was the one thing that they could not do. That's what God does with us as his people. That is one of the secrets of the kingdom. Again, let this land form your theology. God made his people to be those of complete faith. Not a little bit of faith. Total faith. Either he sends rain or they die church this is our story this is our heritage these are the people that we have always been it was not an accident this was his design the blessing of belonging to the king's family is knowing that the king takes care of his people life by faith did not mean that they were lazy and had no responsibilities or did no work no that wasn't it It's simply that they could not manufacture the fruit of their work. Again, I want us to see this is not a farming lesson about Israel. This is our way of life. As his adopted children, God provides all of our needs in his unique way. He sends the water. He sends our life. You know, I have a small garden in our backyard. Not much of a garden. This is probably a weak illustration, but take it for what it's worth. As hot as it's been this summer, I have carried buckets of water down to my tomatoes and squash. It helps a little bit. This rain changes everything. Which irrigation do you want? What you can carry and manufacture on your own or what God can provide? Throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, our lives are filled with stories of people who think we can do better than the Lord. The kings of the Old Testament mostly it's one sad account after another of turning away from the Lord and turning to self. Baal worship in the Old Testament was a horrible pagan practice trying to convince the gods of Baal to send rain to the earth. The Pharisees in the New Testament wanted to bring God's blessing by obeying the law far more than they had ever been told to. And the temptation is true for us this morning. We are prone to think that we can produce a greater blessing in our life than God does Himself. We could not deliver ourselves out of sin and slavery. Jesus had to do that. Neither can we produce fruit inside of our lives. Jesus said in John 15, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's always been the case. We can do nothing without God's grace. Do you see who gets the credit? Who gets the credit for the blessing? Who gets the credit for the success in Israel? It wasn't the people. They knew they couldn't do it. No, they constantly lived in praise of the Lord who provided the rain. Again, that's the theme of our life. Christian, I ask you again this morning, if you have trusted Him, To bring you into this good land, this new way of life. Are you trusting him to supply all of your needs in this life? I don't know what's going on in all of your lives this morning, but I'm confident. There are issues in your work, in your home, in your family. There's pain in which no one knows about. There's abuse that you don't want to talk about. There's financial stress. There's burden for the brokenness of those you love. There's a sadness over wayward children. The list goes on and on and on. I beg you to see this morning, God is the one who can bring about fruit. You can't work hard enough to make that happen. Our lives are not set up that way. That is the secret. You can't make your spouse repent. You can't make your children be believers. You can't work hard enough to bring about spiritual fruit. God sends the water. He does it. This is the secret of our life. We were taken from our old life of sin. We're put into a new life. God provides in this life. But then lastly, our final secret this morning, look back at verse 12 and just be encouraged. Let me read this again. A land the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are always upon it. From the beginning of the year to the end of the year. What's God doing with his land? He's looking at it. He sees it. He cares for it. He never takes his eyes off of it. Our God in heaven, the one who moves us into this way of life, has his eyes upon it. The land is designed differently because the designer of the land loves it so much. He never takes his eyes off of it. You're known this morning. You're known by the God of heaven. He knows every intimate detail of your life and he cares about it. He cares intimately about you. 2 Chronicles chapter 16. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. 1 Peter chapter 5, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You see what he does with his land? He's the real gardener. He looks, he sees, he cares, and he has ability to do something about it. Moses highlights here, and the original audience would have understood. In Israel, there are two seasons, the rainy season and the dry season. The heaviest rain comes in December and January. But Moses' point, it's not just during this time. It's the entire year. That is every season of your life, every day of your life, every moment of your life, your Father sees and He cares. Friends, that is hope. That is hope. That is the secret of our life. No matter what is going on this morning, you have hope because of who your father is and what he does. We can trust him because of who he is. Take comfort this morning in the fact that this life of yours, this new life of yours, the one provided by God through the grace of his son, you are cared for. This is not blind hope. This is real proven hope. Labor Day is around the corner. There's a very good chance I will journey once again up the mountain parkway toward Morgan County. Not sure what will happen, but I suspect I'll learn a few new things that I'm somewhat interested in. (laughs) These secrets might help in this life. They might not. But I pray for us as we prepare to come to the table this morning that the secrets of God's kingdom will fuel our life that we will see where we were, we'll see where we are, and we will see that God is on his throne and that we can trust him. That's what this table is about. Let me pray now and ask that the Lord will prepare us to come and meet with him. Oh, Father, as we think about this life that you have made for us, that you have given to us, oh, Lord, we recognize again this morning We are totally dependent upon you. We are totally dependent upon your goodness to us, that you have demonstrated again and again and again that you love your people. So much so, Jesus, that you came and you gave all that you had, your body, your blood, that we could call your Father, our Father. Come now, meet with us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.